Let me add my welcome to all of you who are visiting with us today. My name is Brian Parks, and I serve as the senior pastor here at Covenant Hope Church. And uh, we're delighted to have you join us today, and you are welcome every single week. We gather every week on Sundays at 3 p.m. in this room, so please come and join us. And please, if I hadn't had the chance to meet you uh, before the service, please come and greet me at the end. I'll be back at the back doors uh, at the close of our service. For those of uh, we believe that God has spoken to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is the true story of God's plan to send Jesus Christ into the world to defeat sin and death through His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. And through that, to bring people back into a right relationship with Himself. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we preach. This is what we look for in the Scriptures every week when we open up the Scriptures. And when we open up the Bible every week and we read it and we listen to it, and we understand its intended meaning, we believe that we're hearing God speak to us. And I believe that God will speak to you today if you'll listen carefully and soften your heart to His voice. Our passage today is a passage about false belief and true belief. The Bible makes clear that there are these two kinds of belief. There's false or superficial belief, belief that acknowledges or maybe even admires Jesus, but that doesn't remove guilt from and God's condemnation for sin. There's that kind of belief described in the Bible, in fact. And then there's true belief, belief that results in a changed life and that leads to eternal life. Or the same kind of life that Jesus demonstrated when He rose from the grave. Superficial belief is a belief that would cheer for Jesus as He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and then only one week later cry out, crucify Him and mock Him while He hung on the cross. Superficial belief is drawn to Jesus because of the miracles that He can do. But true belief sees the miracles as signs pointing to Jesus as the only Lord and Savior. That kind of belief trusts that Christ's greatest miracle was when He went to the cross and rose on the third day to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might have eternal life and know the living God. What kind of belief do you have? Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to finish up John chapter 4 today. You'll be helped if you follow along in your Bibles. We're looking at John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 43 to 54. 43 to 54. Follow along with me as I read. After the two days... He departed for Galilee, 
For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we consider His Word. O oh Lord, Your Word is life. We think back to the passage in Ezekiel, Lord, where You instructed the prophet to speak to the dry bones that covered the valley floor. And when He spoke Your words, flesh came on those bones and skin, and suddenly there was a living, breathing army. Indeed, Your Word is life. Lord, enliven us with Your Word today. In Christ's name, amen. The main message in these 11 verses today is have true belief in Jesus whose Word proves true and gives eternal life. Have true belief in Jesus whose word proves true and gives eternal life. As our passage begins, Jesus is leaving the region of Samaria and He's continuing north to Galilee. Now at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus began this journey from the region around Jerusalem in the south. He was leaving because the Pharisees were becoming more and more aware of his growing popularity. He was gaining more disciples than John the Baptist. And he knew that these Pharisees would respond to his popularity negatively. And so Jesus was retreating to the north, to Galilee, the region that he would have called home. His home was Nazareth. Nazareth was up in the north in Galilee. Now Samaria was in between Judea and the south, and Galilee in the north. And Samaria was also a place where there was corrupted worship. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along, and they hadn't gotten along with one another for centuries, in fact. Yet, as Jesus traveled through Samaria, an unnamed Samaritan woman met him at Jacob's well, a famous well there in Samaria. And as Jesus spoke with her and spoke truth to her, she began trusting 
that Jesus was the true Messiah. In fact, he told her, I am the Messiah. I am he. And then in her zeal and excitement at meeting Jesus, she had rushed off to her village and announced that she had met the Christ. The Samaritan villagers all came out, poured out of the town, and invited Jesus to stay with them for two days. And during those two days, Jesus would have taught them about himself and more about the kingdom of God and the fact that he offers eternal life to all who repent and believe in him. And many of those Samaritans believed in him. It was an incredible spiritual harvest there in Samaria. What's even more surprising about what happened in this Samaritan village was that the Samaritans believed simply based on Jesus' words. Jesus didn't do any miracles in that village. And yet they came to faith. Prior to that, Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem and Judea had turned out quite differently. In fact, he had confronted the disordered worship at the temple in Jerusalem, and he was resisted by the Jewish leaders. They challenged him. They didn't accept his rebuke. Still, Jesus did many miracles in Jerusalem. And even though he did many miracles, and it says that the people believed, it also says and implies that the, their belief in Jesus was a belief in Jesus as a miracle worker only, not Jesus the Messiah. Turn with me for just a moment. If you're in chapter 4 already, turn back to chapter 2. Keep your finger at chapter 4 and look at the very end of chapter 2, starting with verse 23, 24, and 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. John is telling us that this belief of the Judeans was a shallow belief. Jesus didn't entrust himself to the Jews of Jerusalem and Judea because their belief was not true belief in him as a Messiah. But he did entrust himself to the Samaritans, of course. He had stayed with them for two whole days, and their belief in Jesus was true belief in him as the Messiah. A big contrast. Now, as our passage begins, Jesus has made his way all the way back up to the north to Galilee, and the Galileans who had encountered him in Jerusalem meet him back in Galilee. And they receive him with a welcome that ultimately falls short of true belief. We're going to consider first verses 43 through the first half of verse 46. And there we see the absence of true belief. That's the first point in the sermon this afternoon. The absence of true belief. These first few verses can be challenging to understand properly. But John gives us a number of clues that the Galileans are not true believers in Jesus, despite the fact that it says that they welcomed Him. First, there's verse 44. 
And in verse 44, John, the writer of this gospel, reminds us that Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Galilee as a whole would have been considered just like his hometown. John's telling us, the readers, that the Galileans didn't really respect Jesus as someone who spoke God's words to them. They were only impressed by miracles and signs. And then verse 45 reminds us that these Galileans were the very same Jews who had seen all the signs that Jesus did back down in Jerusalem. This verse points us back to those three verses that we just read just a minute ago at the end of chapter 2. Now that they're back in Galilee, they've welcomed Jesus, but they've welcomed Him only for the miracles He could perform. It's like the magician is back in town. Oh boy, we get to see some tricks. Imagine that we all go to a magic show and the magician performs lots of tricks, lots of illusions that intrigue us. We clap, we cheer, but we all know that it's not real no matter how convincing it seems. We're impressed with the magician, but only because he can wow us with his tricks and illusions. We would welcome him, but only because he could entertain us, not because we thought he had real powers. That's the kind of belief that the Galileans had in Jesus. It wasn't true belief in Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. Many people are drawn to Jesus and they say they believe in Him because they think He can give them what they want and what they think they need most. That isn't saving belief. That kind of false belief in Jesus can look very much like true belief, but it will ultimately leave people in their sins and unprepared to meet Jesus the judge on the day of judgment. John Piper says of these kinds of Christians who are Christians in name only, millions of name only Christians have never experienced a fundamental change in the foundation of their happiness. They go to church for other reasons. Instead, they're absorbed, they've absorbed the idea that becoming a Christian means turning to Jesus to get what you always wanted before you were born again. They want a happy marriage, and so they turn to Him to get it. They want peace of conscience, and so they turn to Him to get it. And we could add to what Dr. Piper lists as the deepest desires of name-only Christians. They, they want a successful career, and so they turn to Him to get it. They want obedient children, and so they turn to Him to get it. They want to be a better person, and so they turn to Him to get it. Now, it's not wrong to want all those things. It's not even wrong to pray to Jesus for those things. But if you're believing in Jesus simply so that your life in this world will be better, oh, friend, beware. Be careful. Ask yourself, are you most excited about the things that Jesus can do for you? Or are you most excited about knowing Him and the eternal life that He gives? Which one is it for you? One of the most prevalent forms of false belief is created by the preaching of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel 
teaches that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but that His greatest concern is to give you the things of this world, things like money and health and supernatural experiences that thrill. When these things are proclaimed as Christ's greatest gifts, it becomes a gospel that only appeals to people's earthly desires. And then a kind of belief in Jesus is sparked, but it's not a true belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior come into the world to give eternal life, to give Himself to us. What happens with the prosperity gospel is the gifts of the gift giver become the goal rather than the gift giver Himself. These kinds of name-only Christians are consumers, not worshipers. They're admirers, not followers. And so I ask, if you say you believe in Jesus, what kind of belief is it? Do you believe in Him for what He can give you in this life? Or do you believe in Him for who He is, the Messiah sent from God, the Father, the one the Father sent who shares His eternal, eternal life with you as you trust in Him? The Galileans are demonstrating an absence of true faith despite their applause for Jesus, the miracle worker. But there is a man among them who begins to demonstrate true faith. Look there in verses 46 through 50, the second half of 46 through 50. We see there what we'll consider as the second point in the sermon this afternoon, the beginning of true faith. We saw the absence of true faith first, and now we see the beginning of true faith. In the town of Capernaum, there is an official whose son is gravely ill, and so he travels to the town of Cana, where Jesus had turned the water into wine, and that's where Jesus is staying. The official is likely someone who has served or is serving in King Herod's court. We don't know much about him except that he's desperate to see his son healed. We're told that his son is at the point of death. And in verse 48, Jesus issues a rebuke to not only him but the rest of the crowds as well because we know that because the word you in this verse is plural. He says there in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's a rebuke. Jesus isn't necessarily singling the official out for the rebuke. He's speaking to all of these Galileans. Their false faith in Him is focused only on the signs that He can do. As we move through the Gospel of John, they will repeatedly demand sign after sign after sign. They have an insatiable desire for signs. But something different then begins to happen in this official. He begs Jesus to come down to Capernaum, his hometown, before his son dies. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. And then John gives us a clue that tells us that the beginning of true faith in Jesus has sprung to life in this man. Look at the second half of verse 50. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. In verse 41, in the passage that we looked at last week, 
We're told that the Samaritans believed Jesus because of His Word. They didn't need to see miracles to begin believing in Jesus the Messiah. This man too now takes Jesus at His Word. He hasn't seen that this is going to become true for his son yet, but he believes. And he departs to home to see what's happened with his son. John told us at the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is the Word become flesh who dwelt among us. Taking Jesus at His Word is key to having true saving faith. The man doesn't demand to have Jesus come along and touch his child. Jesus' Word is enough for him to turn and travel back with hopeful expectations of a healing. J.C. Ryle says, Christ's word is as good as a man's deed. Jesus can exercise His power anywhere at any time. He is, after all, the one who created the entire universe and the one who's upholding it with the word of His power. If Jesus created and is sustaining Venus and Mars, He's already exercising His power there and everywhere. Do you believe everything that Jesus has said? Do you take His Word to be absolutely true and reliable? Every promise that Jesus made can be counted on, brothers and sisters. Every promise, every declaration that Jesus made is proved true. One famous Puritan wrote, every time a godly man reads the Scriptures and there meets a promise, he ought to lay his hand upon it and say, this is part of my inheritance. It is mine and I am to live upon it. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too take Jesus at His word. That's one reason that Christians make it a habit to read and listen to God's Word in the Bible over and over and over again. These are the only promises that can truly be counted on in this life, the words of Christ. Even our promises to one another, when we try as hard as we can, oftentimes fall short at times. That's the reason there's the saying, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) But Christ's Word can be counted on without fail, brothers and sisters. J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, in the things of this world, we say that seeing is believing. But in the things of the gospel, believing is as good as seeing. The crowds in Galilee were believing only what they could see. But this official has begun to believe even before he sees the evidence that Christ's word will come to pass and his son will be healed. True faith takes Jesus at his word. In the official, we see the beginnings of true faith, but his faith is is like a newborn baby. It's like it's in seed form. And it will continue to grow if it's healthy, if it's true faith. And in verses 41, excuse me, 51 through 54, we see just that. That brings us to the third point this afternoon, the deepening of true faith. We've seen the absence of true faith, 
beginnings of true faith, and now the deepening of true faith. This official begins to make his way from Cana back down to Capernaum by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And on the way, he's met by his servants who have come to give him news of his son. And the news is good. His son is recovering. He asked his servants, what hour of the day was it that his son began to recover? And they told him at the seventh hour the fever left him. The seventh hour would have been about 1 p.m. the day before. Look at the result of the official hearing this report in verse 53. This is an important verse. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. The official's faith has been proved right, and the spark of true faith that had begun there in his heart in Cana when Jesus told him his son would live, it's now growing. His faith is deepening, and it not only deepens, but his faith begins to spread as well. The official would have reported to his family all that had happened in his encounter with Jesus, and as a result, they too begin believing in Jesus as the Christ. True faith in Jesus, the Son of God, is deepened when we consider how His promises have been kept in our lives. People with true faith in Jesus Christ will grow by recounting His faithfulness to themselves and to one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you seen Christ's words of promise kept faithfully in your life recently? Can you look back over the last weeks and months and recount how Christ has been faithful to you? Can you look back to times of doubt and desperation, and can you see how Christ sustained you? Can you see how He brought you through? And have you thanked Him for it? And have you seen your faith grow in Him as a result? When our true belief in Christ deepens, we will be all the more ready for the next trial and challenge that this world presents to us. And when a crisis crashes onto the shore of our lives, we'll be steadied and stabilized by our remembrance of His faithful Word that proved true in the past. There's a great deal of Scripture that's there simply to remind God's people that if His Word proved true in the past, then His Word will prove true in the future. But we also see the maturing and deepening of the official's belief in Jesus as he tells his family of the powerful promises of the Messiah. True faith recounts to others how Christ's Word has proved faithful. One of the things that should fill our conversations with one another is recounting how Christ's Word has been kept for us. Perhaps that would be a good question for you to ask one another as you meet with one another during the coming week. Ask one another, how has Christ been faithful to you this week or this month? How has He brought you through the challenges that you've faced? How have you been aware of His constant presence with you? Recounting Christ's faithfulness to us with one another will strengthen our faith in Christ, even if we're not the ones who've experienced it in that specific way. 
when we see a brother or sister strengthened in their faith, rescued by Jesus, His Word kept in their lives, we'll look forward to the time when Christ will do that for us as well. One last thing that we see proved when the official receives word of his son's healing is that Jesus has the power of life and death in his very words. John told us in the first chapter of his gospel that in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus has power over death. And nowhere is that demonstrated more vividly than in his resurrection from the dead, what we celebrate especially today. The very same Holy Spirit that drove out the fever and saved this little boy from death is the very same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is Jesus' greatest sign. And yet, at first consideration, it might not seem like Jesus' resurrection benefits anyone but Jesus Himself on the surface of things. It's not like His signs of enabling the lame to walk or the blind to see. It's not like His miracles of feeding thousands from a few loaves of bread. It's not like His demonstrations of power when He drove demons out of the men and women plagued by the powers of Satan. All those signs seemed to immediately benefit those for whom He did them. But the resurrection was the greatest sign of all and the one which, in fact, benefits us the most. And true faith is necessary to receive what Christ offers us in His resurrection. True belief understands that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we've all rebelled against the Lord by living life for our own glory and not for His, wanting the God of the universe to give us His gifts, but not caring anything for Him. And for that, we deserve the condemnation and punishment of God. We deserve eternal death. But God, in a great show of love for us, sent His Son into the world, into a world that wanted to see the signs and wonders, but didn't want to truly believe in His Son. They would cheer His miracles, but reject His message. And so they put Him to death on a cross. But in His death, He became our substitute. The punishment He endured was the punishment we deserved. He went to the cross willingly in order to pay the penalty for our sin. He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again from the dead. The Word who had life in Himself came back to life by the power of the Spirit. His resurrection proves that His sacrifice for sinners was accepted by God the Father. His resurrection proves that His claims to be equal with the Father are true. And His resurrection proves that He has eternal life to offer to whosoever repents and trusts in Him. Far from being a sign with no benefit for us, Jesus' resurrection provides us with the greatest benefit we could ever hope for, the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life in and with 
the Son of God. True faith in Jesus Christ enables us to receive that gift. Jesus and the resurrection life that's in Him. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. Jesus is alive, and He reigns forever, and we will reign with Him. You, His saints, let that fill your soul and strengthen you for every trial and temptation you're facing. Now, as we've made our way through this passage, perhaps you've examined your faith in Jesus, and you found it to be more like the Galileans than the official and his family. You've recognized that perhaps you've had a kind of faith in Jesus, but it's dangerously like their faith, faith that doesn't bring eternal life. Oh, friend, I urge you, turn to Him now in true faith. Seek Him for His own sake so that you might have Christ as your benefactor and have the eternal life that He offers in His name. Don't remain in a state of simple admiration for Jesus. Move on from an absence of true faith to the beginnings of true faith and on to a deepening and spreading of true faith like we've seen in this passage. My friend, eternity hangs in the balance. Let's turn to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You sent Christ into this world. We praise You, Lord, that He went to the cross willingly to bring glory and honor to You and to win a people for Himself. We praise You, Lord, that on the third day He was raised from the dead. Lord, we want to celebrate that and revel in that and trust in that and believe in that, not only today, but every single day of this coming year. Oh, Lord, deepen our faith. Give us courage to spread this faith as well. And so bring glory and honor to You. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Let's stand and sing our last song.